Yeah, I think artists think differently than other people. You know, I think our ideas can't be contained to, like you said, the basic rules or the basic, not everything is black and white for artists. And so theater is a great way to sort of, uh, I guess, funnel that into a way that's um, uh, useful and uh, useful for you as a person in order to, you know, accept yourself, but also to make, make your art and have it shown to people. Hello, and welcome to the Hollywood Hustle podcast, where we bring you the stories and struggles of artists climbing the ladder of success and how they survived the city of dreams, Los Angeles. Hello, everyone. I am Michael Luther, and I am the producer of the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us for act two of our discussion with my dear friend, Jazz Trice. This interview has been so special to share with you, our listeners. Um, Jazz and I go way back uh, to literally one of my first days of college at UC Davis. Um, as you heard uh, in the previous episode, talking about number five, Angry Red Drum, uh, I know I was able to talk a little bit in the episode about it, but it was just such, as an actor, theater is family. You The, the cast that you perform with, they become your family. And at that time, I was a freshman in college. I was living away from home. I was living in the dorms, and I got cast in this uh, production, so I didn't really have time to talk and get to know people in my dorm that I was living with. Instead, I was over at the theater department, which, let's be honest, that that's where I belong. Um, and Jazz was the only person in that show that I really got to interact with, and we got to know each other very well, very fast. And it would, he's just such a wonderful guy. You guys got to listen to him, of course, last episode, but he has such an, a unique perspective of being someone who went from being an actor to now being on the other side of the table and working on more production. So I think you're getting some really great insight into not only just casting, but reality TV and the production side of things as well. So really excited for you guys to hear our uh, Act 2 discussion. Uh, but just catching up with you guys real quick, uh, last you heard from me, I had some auditions coming up. I uh, recorded a self-tape audition for a video game uh, with, from Sony, and it was simply a face scan. So I had they, were, they gave me a list of emotions that I had to portray with facial expressions. And with each emotion, you had to show three stages of that emotion in intensity. So happiness, for example, would maybe start off with pleasant, then happy, and then just absolute bliss. And you have to hold each face expression for about seven seconds. So it was really interesting. I've never done anything like this, but I was able to actually utilize the emotional preparation training I've been getting from my acting class and bring that into this audition because there was one section that was mourning or sadness rather. And so you had to see just sad, mourning, devastated. And it's easy to make what you would think is just a facial expression, but you also have to be emotional about it. You have to connect the expression with the emotion as well. So it was very interesting using this uh, emotional preparation with this very, um, you know, specific type of audition. And then I also was able to get another uh, audition um, this past week for a commercial. And when I submitted to the commercial, I my beard, though not as long as Daniel's, uh, you know, I've, I've been rocking my beard, but for this face scan audition, I trimmed my beard so the casting could see my face. 
better for the facial expressions. And so I submitted this audition with me with a beard where I look older. And of course, the spot is for a dad, um, mid, you know, mid thirties, early thirties to late thirties. And it was one of those moments of just like, Oh no, do I, do I go even though I don't maybe look like I'm exactly 30 now because I shaved my beard. But Daniel was actually one of the people just like, no, just go, just do it. Um, you'll be fine. And so I looked at it more as an opportunity to meet with that casting office more than anything. And, you know, it was just a few lines, but I was able to go in and emotionally connect and, you know, also improvise within the audition itself. Um, so really good week. It's, it's nice to get in the audition room again and, you know, using the tools that I've been sharpening in my class and apply it to the actual craft, to the actual business of what we're doing. Um, but outside of acting things, it was really nice. Uh, Daniel and I actually got to recently hang out, which when do we ever have time to do that? But we actually went and saw Christopher Nolan's uh, Dunkirk film on 70 millimeter in the Arclight movie theater in Hollywood. And that was just phenomenal to see. Christopher Nolan is both uh, Daniel and I's one of our favorite directors. And if you have not seen this movie Please do. You have never seen a war film, uh, a, a narrative uh, war film done in this way. Uh, it is a true Nolan film through and through, It, but it's it's gripping. And if you can see it on IMAX, I highly recommend it. You'll get thrown into the action and just be ready to, you know, it's not dialogue heavy. A lot of his films can be very di- dialogue heavy. This is more about action and the connection between the characters and the struggles that they have to persevere through. So I thought it was just an uplifting, uh, beautiful uh, film, and I highly recommend you guys check it out uh, if you can. Uh, Dunkirk, directed by the Christopher Nolan. So um, now that I got to catch you guys up on where I am at, let's dive back into our conversation with Jazz Trice. Um, He's my dear friend, and he's a as we discussed in the previous episode, a reality TV casting producer. I mean, that just sounds really cool to say. Jazz Trice. In Act 2, we discuss the importance of finding your community within the arts, the need to express yourself, to learn how to empathize with others, and to explore something completely outside of your own world. We chat about some of our favorite television shows uh, within the golden age of television that we're in, and the do's and don'ts when it comes to auditioning. So let's now shift to another dimension of reality. Over to you, Daniel. Thank you, Michael and Daniel. Well, we are back here with our roundtable discussion with Mr. Jazz Trice. Yes. Oh! <laughs> I like pausing your name because it's so epic. It's always fun to just like have that epic. moment like Jazz yeah, I'm going to do that from now whenever I introduce myself. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Or a little, little hyphen there in the middle. Uh, we're also joined by the man who can count backwards in Klingon, Mr. Michael Lutheran. I will not upset the Klingon fans who actually know how to speak Klingon. <laughs> I'm not upsetting anyone. I was trying to give you some cred in the nerd I, community. I just, you know, I speak Elvish, you know, Tolkien Elvish. I don't want to confuse the two, so... <laughs> Thanks, Daniel. And I thought I made him a nerd. <laughs> Michael has plenty of cred in the nerdy community, don't worry. Thank you, Jess. Yeah. Thank you. So uh, so just want to start off talking real quick. Uh, 
you know, when you get into the arts and you start doing theater or, or writing or film uh, or being a musician, um, one of the things I, you know, for me at least, you really start discovering who you are. And I think we talked about this in the last episode, Jazz, where you kind of realize more about yourself as you try to become other characters. Mm-hmm. You find yourself in those characters, good and bad. Um, so let's kind of talk about how how had has the arts helped you, know, you Michael, and you, Jazz, and myself uh, evolve as people who we are today and how important of a role did they play in your lives growing up, uh, you know, in Vacaville and, 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 and uh, uh, Virginia and, and California. I don't know if it's because of my military upbringing, but you know, there were a lot of restrictions on, uh, I guess how to behave. And that was really annoying because I'm such a drama queen and I'm so dramatic. And so it made sense for me to, get involved in theater somehow because I felt like I couldn't fully express myself the way that I wanted to. And theater allowed me to be comfortable with that and finding the right outlet to do it and the right way to do it without, I don't know, offending someone but still being true to who I was. So I got to discover that part about myself. Yeah. Well, like Jazz, I also grew up on an Air Force base. So we're similar military brats in that regard. Mm. And I definitely noticed just I don't know. On, on the military base, sports programs were always very well funded for. Um, my high school had a great football and sports division, and the JRLTC programs were always well funded. But at least in my high school, like the arts weren't supported whatsoever. And so finding that community, uh, especially in high school, of a group of friends, and sure, we didn't have the best um, sets or the technology to create shows, but it just gave me a community that I knew I could be, I could say whatever I wanted and they would accept me. I could be just as weird and awkward and I was really weird and really awkward, especially back then. <laughs> Daniel still, was about to it's, say. It's, and just as me, I am, still am. Uh, but for me, you know, it's I didn't grow up on a military base. Uh, um, I, you know, I grew up in a small part of Dallas and I think one of the things for me that I've realized is that, you know, the arts are truly for those who feel like outsiders, uh, those that feel unwelcome in a lot of places or uncomfortable in a lot of different settings. Uh, you know, that's it's a weird place where the these misfits and these people who have these high energy moments and these low energy moments all at the same time and can create something in their heads that is so out there. And some people would just look and I'm like, what are you talking about? And it's okay. And for me, that's what I found with the arts. I found this comfortability of being this crazy kid who made up crap all the time. I mean, I'm talking stupid, stupid things that people would be like, what are you doing? Uh, you know, uh, we, uh, my one of my best friends, shout out to Daniel Gurner out there. One of my best friends going up, he lived across the street. We had this game called Day Off. And it was literally what we as kids interpreted an adult's day off from work as. Mm. And it was, <laughs> this, was so embarrassing. We literally, it basically consisted of us laying around refusing to answer a door. <laughs> don't know why. Don't don't ask me why. But we'd be like, oh, are you going to get the door? No, it's my day off. <laughs> like That was our thing. And it's so dumb and it's so stupid. But it's one of those things where like, that was who I was. Was and and he, God bless Daniel Gurner, went along with it for some reason. But you know that that was who I was, and that's the person, this outgoing, crazy, 
weirdo to my, you know, in some ways where I think everybody else in a lot of ways are down to earth and feel like they have to be on on the ground and have to look at everything as this realistic expectation of what life is and people in the arts look above that well also for me though i think it's also about empathy where in the arts you not only learn to sympathize but you also learn to put yourself in someone else's shoes and at least in my high school and growing up in my hometown and everything i think that's something that's needed more and more is some people you know day-to-day life people just go on their solo track and unfortunately you sometimes don't think about the other person but whereas in the arts especially as a young person you start you're given that opportunity to put yourself in the other shoes and you know feel exactly what they're feeling and and it's also a safe space for that as well yeah yeah i think artists think differently than other people you know i think our ideas can't be contained to like you said the basic rules or the basic not everything is black and white for artists and so theater is a great way to sort of uh, i guess funnel that into a way that's um uh, useful and useful for you as a person in order to you know accept yourself but also to make make your art and have it shown to people you know i i agree i completely agree with you michael it's it's this moment where you get to understand the world a little bit more and not just from this political stance or like from a, a distance, but you get to almost be a part of it in a, a, in a, in, diff, in an interesting way. Um, whether it's an abstract or a narrative story, you get to be a part of something that you may never actually experience being, I was in Anne Frank. I'm hopefully God bless. I won't ever have to experience what that's like to hide in a ba- you know, an attic for years and not be have to and have hours where I can't make noise and you know but you get to experience and you again you get to find that empathy for those people and hopefully spread that and have some impact on the community on and on the people watching the show well it's a great way of you talk about Anne Frank about also history tapping into things that maybe generations before have gone through and everything that Thankfully, we don't experience, but we need to still remember mm. about certain things. And something like that type of experience of uh, people hiding from an oppressive government and things like that, I think there are echoes of that currently happening right now. And so it's kind of shocking to think, yes, we read this in a play or you read that in a book, but it's still resonating for some people today. And that through the arts, you can not only... If you're if you're afraid or something like that, you can go into a, a, a room and be able to share that and experience it. But then if you don't know what that's like, it also gives you that same basis of understanding. And again, ability to empathize and not only with your fellow person, but also just with history, with the human experience that we've been going through. Mm, yeah, you get to explore something that is not part of your your world. You get to see this viewpoint. If you're watching something on stage or watching something on screen or um, you get to, uh, yeah, you expand your expand your mind, your understanding of everyone. Uh, we interviewed um, Jessica Hanna from the Bootleg Theater here in L.A., and she had this wonderful saying of, "We go to we go to theater to experience crisis. You you don't go to show to just see normal life happening. You go there to see some type of struggle, whether it's a comedy or a, a moving drama. There's some type of event that's going on, some type of crisis that people are." encountering and bouncing off of one another. And that's what we as the audience want to go and experience. 
I I think part of that, you know, the crisis that you're seeing, and I think kind of going back to that idea of community and how important the arts are, you know, why do people get so upset when they say they're going to defund the arts? Why do people like it's it's a it's just a play, you know? No, this play is some kids, whether they wrote it when they're 42, 32, 85 or 12, it's a kid expressing himself and expressing the feelings that he has about something in a meaningful way. And, you know, the, I think the thing I love about theater the most is that it's a freedom to come in and tell your story and tell your life experiences in a way that you feel comfortable telling it. Is it through a narrative? Is it through poetry? Is it through a uh, uh, rap or song or pop or a musical? Is it through uh, a quiet mime interpretation? Like, how do you want to express yourself? Because keeping so many things, life sucks sometimes. Life is hard. And if you keep it bottled in, that's where problems happen. Because you don't have an outlet to express safely without ridicule, without uh, 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 judgment, or criticism who you are and what you're feeling at that moment about this subject is a freedom that very little things give you the opportunity to have yeah. you know and i think the theater is one of the best theater movies whatever art aspect is the one of the best aspects of it well because it also it gives you a, a space to think differently mm-hmm. as well and introduce you to new ideas i know in my local community Unfortunately, there were a lot of my fellow students who didn't have, whether it's sports, you know, because as an athlete, you know, that gives you an opportunity to just go and be a part of a team and everything. But there are some of those kids who don't. And unfortunately, my area, there's not a lot of other after school programs outside of the school, just in the community. There's just not that much going on. And so that's when kids perhaps start turning to crime or other decisions that, Otherwise, if they had some type of team or community that they could go to where it's safe, but instead they make the other choice and we get some areas where Vacaville is a very wonderful town, but unfortunately the youth sometimes feel forgotten about and that's where you get disruptions happen. Yeah, you have to have options for people, you know, because not everyone's going to, excuse me, subscribe to the way that you think this kid should experience their you know, their their school life. You know, the more options, the better. So if a kid is told that they have to do sports, like not everybody's going to be good at sports. Yeah. Um, they're going to look for what they're, what they're good at. So yes, I agree. Having all these different options for kids is best. Um, but going from looking at theater as a, you know, as a form of escape, one other, you know, one option that is more available to everyone is television. Uh, television has very much taken the place of, everyone going to to the theater and everything it's hap- it's now on an iPhone screen or it's on your television screen so and we're as i said in the previous episode we're kind of in this golden age of television and jazz you were the first person to really introduce to me the power of week to week storytelling mm-hmm. and also through binge watching um, when we moved to LA that's a lot of what we would do is just watch television so um, love to hear from you guys about uh, the state of television, where we are right now, the ability to tell so many stories. Yeah, I definitely, we are in the golden era of television and I want it to last as long as possible. I think with 
it's interesting because with our attention spans, I really can't sit and watch a, a two and a half hour film about the Avengers again. For some reason, like my mind goes off, but I can do a 45 minute episode of something, process it, go do something else, come back. And then it, there's something that makes it so much more easier to consume. And since there are so many different options, we have uh, we have Netflix, we have Hulu, we have Amazon. I don't know. Snapchat's probably going to be making movies or TV shows soon. Um, <laughs> I, actually, I think they are. Um, and it's just we can do it whenever we want. We don't have to get in the car, go to the movie theater, sit and wait. And it's like people are so... I don't know, like distracted. So getting to watch it whenever we can is amazing. So my thing I love about television is just the, um, uh, I love like one season, like a one season limited series. I love like 10 episodes of being fully invested in this world where you don't have to think about the, the next season or the next season. You can tell a really strong story. I think the writing is so much stronger in like a limited series or something where the story can be contained as opposed to like, a show that goes on forever and ever and ever. And I think that's why people are drawn to it because the quality is better. They're realizing that you can tell a really good story in six episodes and that that can be it. And then don't deal with it for a year and then come back. I feel like the serialized format was just getting stale. Yeah, like the formula, formulaic, like this is the basically the same episode week to week, just certain different things are interchanged. Yeah, yeah, a couple tweaks. Um, uh, and then also because we have all these streaming platforms, we can watch all different types of shows before it could would just be like the the um like the me- the one medical drama you have like the one you know law influenced show but now there are like there are hundreds of all of those you can watch them at any time and but there's also now like different universes within television right like uh there's the chicago series where you have the mm-hmm. like the the chicago pd you have the chicago fire um hashtag one chicago yeah. There you go. <laughs> but you were also just talking about like you can't sit through Avengers, um, you know, more than once or something like that. It's interesting how film is also responding to television. Yeah. How, how you know, you look at Marvel as, as an example, their movies are becoming much more episodic mm-hmm. in that, you know, one inspires the next, which inspires the next. And you have filmmakers like Joss Whedon working on these films Joss Whedon came from television. Yeah. So it's interesting how, because television is becoming so much, uh, I mean, I can't say like TV is better than film, but a lot more people are watching television now. Mm-hmm. And so how the film industry is having to adapt to television and start incorporating their stories in that type of format. Right. I, you know, that, that the concept of must see television and the idea of like you know back in the day like we were talking a little bit off mic about like tv land if you miss an episode of f troop you can come back to the next episode and you're not you didn't miss any story there's no advancement that has happened that you're like wait why is that guy mad at that person now there's none of that but you miss an episode of lost or two episodes of lost you have no idea what's happening. Yeah. And I think that is something that has changed a lot and that where this golden era of television is that's a main point. Unless it's a comedy, there's very few dramas that are not episodic, you know, unless they're procedurals. Um, and even then they'll have their, their, they have something, they're getting it slowly, subtly into the continual storyline that maybe comes back later on, especially like Honor SVU did that with a character where he kind of kept coming back and causing more issues, but they were still kind of one-off stories, just continuing this one thread a little bit. And so, 
you know, it's you know when that the idea of DVR and 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 and, and uh, TiVo and things like that came out. It's so fascinating of how television evolves to that point and how invested in f- you know fandom can be. You know, shipping and things like that. That's all new. Like you know, people didn't ship you know Lou and Mary back in the other day. But yeah, you want you and then giving them names, which is always weird to me. I don't understand that. But you got to name your teams, I guess. But um, well, Jazz, you work in unscripted mm-hmm. television content mm-hmm. and everything, and even now, like we're talking about television, not only has narrative um, storytelling expanded, but also unscripted content yeah. uh, in terms of reality television and everything like that as someone who works in casting and everything is there anything that you can speak to um in terms of just storytelling whether it's fictional or um unscripted reality yeah i mean <clears throat> there are i think a lot of reality began as sort of like real reality, I would say, where you would actually just put people in a room and watch them. You think about the real world and, you know, there was there were some things that were set up, but for the most part, it was like, I call it 24-hour surveillance and they pick all the good stuff and there are still shows like that. But the things that are um, probably the best, I mean, uh, I, I watch a lot of reality, so I'm familiar with The Housewives, you know? Like, it's all, it's all dramatized, but there's still, like, people go into these shows, myself included, when you work on it, there is a story arc that you're sort of creating it still follows the same storytelling format of a scripted show right except the like the, the, there is no script um the, so uh, yeah i think it's it's definitely evolved a lot because now you have a lot of the 24-hour surveillance sort of shows or just peeking into things and then uh yeah it's, it's like weirdly serialized now like you can watch you can like peek into the kardashians or the housewives really great examples and then still um uh, you know you don't really get Lost, but there are still like threads throughout. It's interesting. Well, it fits because I mean, our lives are serialized. Yeah. Our, you know, my day doesn't wrap up a storyline in my life. It, it's weird to consider something a storyline in my life, but it doesn't wrap up like, you know, oh, I did a podcast for a day. Now my life is up next week. See me try to be a newspaper editor. Like, it's not anything like that. So, you know, you, you see the Kardashians, you, you, you stop watching the Kardashians for, say, a year. You go back and go, wait, why is she with him? And why are they fighting? And didn't she have another dog? And, like, you know, there's like, because yeah. it, it's life. It's, it's, but it's this storied setup life of, you know, like you mentioned the housewives. Like, hey, you know when's a good time to confront somebody about something really nasty they said? At somebody's engagement party at, like, the peak of happiness for everybody. Now, go up and talk to them about that thing they said 14 weeks ago. That really means nothing anymore. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just it's, – it's fascinating how they create those stories. And when you hear people come up and go, that's not what really happened. That I – or when people complain, like, I came off like a real jerk and I'm not like that. Yeah, there. I mean, you you get the you get like the jerk edit. We like to say there's always got to be someone that's the villain. It's like you can't have the good without the bad, and people are always surprised when it happens. Um, it's going to be interesting, I think, when you start seeing Netflix or Hulu also starting to get into unscripted content. Netflix is, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and it's just interesting because we are in this point where wherever it's narrative or unscripted. Clearly, we just want to hear stories. Mm-hmm. We, we're interested in everything. And because of streaming now, it really is possible. You can have this content that's focusing on this famous family 
Or you can have something like Intervention, where you're focusing on these very dramatic, dark stories. Um, or you, you know, there's a, there's a million and one other type of unscripted shows, but it's all coming from this place of like, I'm, I'm just interested in this type of topic. It's, there's going to be a show about it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, sorry, the story is the driving force. Yeah. It's the most important thing. Like without the story, like the cast, who cares? Scripted or unscripted. Yeah. So what for, for you guys, and we have another question kind of similar to this uh, later, but what shows have influenced you as an actor or as a creator or as a person? Jesus. What what if you had to pick like one or two or three shows? Because <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. If somebody asks me my favorite TV shows, I usually go, what genre? Like, yeah, yeah, and like what channel? <laughs> like it, it's so hard to pick. But what you know? What would you say? Um, I always think that there are certain shows that hit you at certain points of your life, and somehow something similar that's happening in your life is also happening on the show, or one's influencing the other. And for me, there's just it was the first show that I watched on Netflix in college, and I was directing a production of Julius Caesar at the time and a friend of mine told me to check out a show called Slings and Arrows and it it was a three specifically only a three season show and it told the story of this uh, you know fictional theater company in Canada uh, similar to Ashland Shakespeare Festival and just about the throat the slings and arrows you know of putting together a show and each season focused typically on one Shakespeare production as well as like another show but you were focusing on this guy who had played Hamlet, who had went, who had gone crazy during halfway performing Hamlet, and then he had a nervous breakdown for seven years, and it's about catching back up with him, where when he's hired as the artistic director, and he's haunted by the ghost of the former artistic director, and so it's this fun comedy show, but it's also talking about Shakespeare and theater and about art and what's true versus what you know, just selling yourself for other people's entertainment and because I was directing Shakespeare at the time it was just it had this profound impact on me of thinking about art and stories and how they can impact people yeah um I have a couple of shows I love television um my the unscripted show that influenced me the most is definitely gonna be the hills and I stand by that very firmly I think that show was the thing that made me want to move to LA of course all the superficial fun stuff but it was just that was also a reality show that was presented in such a really glossy way before that everything was sort of gorilla and you know off the cuff catching stuff but this one there was I was like this is so weird to me because it's reality but all these things are obviously set up like where do all these cameras come from they knew this was these are coordinated situations so that's when I became fascinated with like what is real and what is not real with unscripted television so that was like the thing that got me moved to LA um Grey's Anatomy I think just got me into writing um, uh, I think I, that's when I started looking at scripts and how like dialogue was um, written out and organized. And then I, that's when I started to get an ear for, um, I guess, dialogue and paying attention to that. And I also really have to say House of Cards. I'm yes. a huge... I, I, I said Grey's Anatomy was my favorite show, but House of Cards is my favorite show. Um, I'll second that. Like, David Fincher is probably one of my favorite directors and his 
that is a show that's very much along the lines of his vision. And I am obsessed with just the power play. I think watching that show made me realize the um, how quickly power dynamics can change what people do to maintain it it could be with a look it could be with a word it could be with a state of the union address and i got so obsessed with how people chase power and maintain power um and yeah that show's amazing um I, I i've mentioned it i think before but like definitely my my number one probably all-time favorite show is lost and i know a lot of people have their opinions about that show and how it ended and where the story went and we won't get into that because I have my own opinions about that more favorable than others probably. If we have a spoilers episode, <laughs> if we if we if we do a, a, a roundtable just on Lost because I could literally talk about that show for hours. Um, that inspired me because to me that was that show changed television in a lot of ways. JJ um, Abrams JJ Abrams kind of changed it with you know um, uh, the Je- Jennifer Gardner alias a mm-hmm. while back, and then you you come with Lost, which is I think the first show where people were delving into the show outside of the show, looking for clues, looking for answers. They started doing online games and videos, and they had a they put together a chat room just for Lost that the cast would come on and chat with the fans randomly. Like you would be on there, and all of a sudden, like uh, Terry O'Quinn would pop up. It was called the Fuselage, and Terry O'Quinn would pop up and say, "Hey, everybody!" And you'd start chatting with Terry O'Quinn. And I chatted with him about a play I was in for like 20 minutes, and it's fantastic. And and that was uh, that show just drew me in the story and how you never knew where it was going to go, and it was all about character. And that was my the thing that really got me it was about character and redemption, and these metaphors and the symbology and 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 symbol, symbolism of of things that happen in it is something I was always, I'm always drawn to. I love, I love, uh, like Tennessee Williams is my, one of my favorite playwrights because there's so much underneath everything. Um, everything has a meaning in in all his plays. And I love that. I love when it's more than just what it is, or, you know, the flashbacks are more than what they seem in the show. They have a different purpose than what you think they have. And lost means something completely different than what you think it means in the beginning. And that it, it just that show just constantly blew me away. It was always, like I said, must see. Had to watch it the day it was on, or at that night without looking at any spoilers. And I don't even think spoilers was a thing until that show. And so that that show. And then my other one would probably I love Grey's Anatomy as well. It's, I, I I haven't watched it in a while, but I do love that show. But Smallville was another one for me, just because it's like, how do you take something that everybody knows and tell it differently and make it interesting? And I just, I, I, both of those, like, I could talk about Lost all day. Yeah. I mean, I want to talk about Lost right now. So I feel like that. <laughs> We're scrapping the rest of this. I feel like that show was very instrumental in getting to the golden age of television that we're in now. I think before that, because of the way that shows were made before, no one thought that you could do something on that scale on ABC at nine o'clock. You yeah, know, it was that, very cinematic. Right. It was very much like it was very much like a film every time. And so I think that that's what drew me to it was it seemed it was like nothing else in television. And I, just want, I think it changed how shows were episodically structured where mm. people were like, oh, you can tell stories in completely different ways mm. with, oh, there's flashbacks intermixed with the episodes and they mean something to the that that kind of thing as well. I think was really important. Well, yeah, I feel like television was very much prior to Lost was A B C D E. It was very formulaic. It you know 
always ended in a very happy way and all the answers were explained within the episode Mm -hmm. whereas and that was jazz one of the first shows you had me watch when we came down to la like Mm -hmm. we have netflix now you must watch this entire show that uh daniel and jazz just shook hands he had to yeah very proud of that one (laughs) yeah you you did it jazz you did it for me (laughs) that's a show I, i i rarely knew of a show that people would want to watch the show with their friends when they watched it for the first time, yeah, it became an event mm-hmm. to experience. Oh, it really—it was an event to watch, and and it shaped ABC and how they promote their things. I mean, it went far beyond just the show itself. It was a fandom, like it was obsessiveness. Yeah, it took over my life. I was online, like trying to be a conspiracy theorist and find out where things are going. I was on Lostopedia every Thursday. The show aired on Wednesday, so the next day when I was supposed to be in class, I was trying to find all the clues that I missed. Did you listen to the podcast? I did listen to the podcast. <laughs> of course I listened to the podcast. What am I, an animal? <laughs> now, did you guys experience that show, though, on the week-to-week uh, basis of viewing it? Or were you, like, binging it? I missed the first two seasons live, so I got the, the DVD box sets and I watched them all, like, in a week and then I was pissed because I had to wait every other week for the show my, my uh, shout out to one of my really uh, be- my best friend in, in, in Texas uh, Richard Parker I introduced him to he introduced me to 24 and me and him have constantly had this back and forth of he introduces me into something and I kind of get him back for getting me into something else by getting him into something and I was like you have to watch Lost like just sit down with me and watch like the first three episodes like just sit like watch up to Locke's first episode and he watched it and he was like, I hate you. I hate you so much. And he like, he borrowed my first season, but I was, I, I, I you bring this up cause it's so funny. It's like, there's a little bit of like an anger with like people that get to watch it on line on Netflix and binge it because I feel like uh, there's an anger and a, fear and a sadness because like you didn't get the excitement and that anticipation of having to wait yeah. and go, what just happened when something, you know, there's several, there's one in particular moment in uh, uh, season two that happens that I'm sure everybody knows what I'm talking about with one character that happens to two other characters uh, right at the end of the episode that shape completely changes the game. Um, it involves Michael. That's all. I'll say. Yeah. I, yeah. I was like, I think I was, I was shook to my core when that happened. I don't think I, that was anything that I ever anticipated. And then you have to wait. Like the episode, like cut to black, and now I have to wait. And, a week. and it went on break. You didn't yeah. come back for like five, like a month. They would do that too, right before a long mm-hmm. hiatus. Like, okay, let's change the entire shape of the show, and then see you guys in the, another season. I remember, like, there's very few shows I remember watching with someone or wanting to watch with other people, and something like that would happen because there was a good friend of mine, Jared. I would watch it every Wednesday. I would I would go to his grandmother's house and we'd watch it together. And when that moment happened. I know it's been out for a while. I'm still not going to spoil it. When that moment happened, the air in the room was just gone. Like, we were all just, like, wide-eyed, mouths agap. Like, it was like, what? And that, and that happened, like, every other week watching that show. <laughs> to have, like, this, such intense cliffhangers for different characters week to week. Like, multiple cliffhangers per episode. It was just, like... It's baffling thinking about it. Whereas for me, I got to experience it all within... Shut up! <laughs> ...within, you know, just a few weeks. But so now you both are writers and everything. You, uh, Someone had mentioned that how Lost also changed uh, the way television is just written. 
I mean, that was a show that you had to wait week for week for week. And even when you binge watch it, you can feel that. There are certain big event lead-ups that you can tell there was supposed to be time in between you watch the next episode. Whereas now, Netflix can drop an entire season of Daredevil all at once. And how, from a story writing perspective, would that change the way you write an episode? Knowing that people can just watch it all right at once, as opposed to having to wait to watch the next episode. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it does as much because you still want those twists and you still want those moments, but it's hard to say is like, especially if it's like a Netflix thing where they all come out at once. If do you see them as like, this is going to be a big moment or is just this going to be a twist moment? Um, the moment we were mentioning subtly about Lost was a big moment. Like, I can imagine them in the writer room going, when they read that script, going, oh my gosh, that's going to, and the, we go on hiatus after that. Like, I think it, it, I think it loses a little bit of its um, heightened ability because you can go to the next one. So it's just a twist. It's not, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? I mean, there are those what's going to happen next, but. It's, it's it's a hard emotion to explain. Yeah, I feel like the the shock and awe is still built into the episode. I think a lot of the um, <clears throat> the structure of writing it doesn't change too much. Honestly, mm-hmm. I feel like the I think it's just the consumption that makes it different. I have to think about another show, Scandal, that I watched. There was a big moment that happened in the second season. It was like two o'clock in the morning when I watched this, and then this happened. Smash the black, and I have to watch two more episodes. Like I, I had to watch it. And continue to, yeah. Okay, I think I think I, I found a way to, uh, to phrase it. When you're watching a show like Lost live and you have to wait, you're living that last moment for a month. Mm-hmm. You're living in that moment for a month, that last air that you lived in. When you're watching something on Netflix, you're living in that moment until that five-second clock goes down and then you see the resolution. Mm-hmm. And then, when you, especially if you binge-watch, you live in that show for... 10, 13 hours, and then you go on your way. Whereas with Lost, you're living it for a year. And so I think also the devotion, and you can be a fan, but I think there's something different when you're, you, 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 give, you, you make a, an hour out of your week every week to sit down and watch this show. There's a different commitment to it yeah. in a way. It required a lot more stamina to get through 24 episodes in a year. Well, I also think it's, it allows you more time to process Right, like you in between episodes, you have time in which you get to talk with people about the show. Whereas if you're just binge watching, not to say that you're not given time to have an opinion about the show, but you, like you said, you only have about 15 seconds until the next episode starts. So you have to make that conscious wait, pause. I need to think about this. Uh, though I was thinking about House of Cards, I feel like the binge watching nature of that show is that they ratchet up the tension and it almost because they know that you can just keep watching it. They're able to ratchet up the tension a bit more every single time because I guess it's like normal television, but I feel like with that particular show, it's almost made to just keep going and going and going and going. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it feels more like a movie, I guess I would say rather than a periodic television show. 
Yeah, and that's a. Uh... That's what I think for like an actor perspective for people that work behind the scenes on these shows now, they are all shot like a film. You think about it before a TV show, you have to film it over 52 weeks. Now in a month, you can knock out an entire 10 episodes, move on. And I feel like it keeps the cost down. You know, filming something that short of time is a lot more cost efficient and it makes it easier for other people. Like as actors, I know people that have worked on certain shows on Netflix that can do it for a couple months and then move on to something else. And it won't take up their whole life. I think you're tied to a show if it's going on that long. Now, you, you mentioned Scandal earlier, created by the great Shonda Rhimes. Yeah. Um, what do you guys feel that, I mean, obviously, like, Thursday nights is Shonda Rhimes night. Like, you know, and, and the news recently that, you know, uh, uh, you know, a while back that, you know, Scandal was going to end after the seventh season. Um, how, how do y'all feel Shonda's kind of changed TV? I she has changed the landscape of television for me. I feel like having such, um, uh, first of all, having such diverse a diverse cast constantly. You know, that's the diversity of the people that are on her shows are it's perfect. Having female leads in all of her shows, I think it's something that has. She's given a voice to a lot of people that have gotten to play like a secondary character. Also, she's allowed people to be a character where their race was not the crux of their story. It's brought up in a way that is, uh, in a way to, I guess, move the plot along if it has to, but it's not like this is, this is you're, you're the black woman and then we're going to play that up, or you're like the, you know, you're the Asian guy, we're going to play that up, you know? It's seeing past that, but also having just like, like the rainbow coalition of people on your shows. Yeah. And the, you're just a person. Yeah. Like you're a regular human being who has emotions and trials and tribulations like everyone else, no matter what age, race, skin color, gender you are, everyone experiences life. And it's so weird how we put people in boxes and like this is the life they experience as a group. They only experience this. We only experience that. And it's there and, and it normalizes everyone, which is what it's we should be doing in film and television and theater where anybody can play anybody no but i think it's also great in that she she really did bring real life to the screen and she's also made an impact not only just on her own shows but the shows surrounding as well like it's not just the shows that she's been working on the industry itself has been responding as well mm -hmm. of bringing more diverse stories and as you said, Jazz, not making it the, you know, certain things a, a, a crutch to their story, but giving them just more fuller life. Yeah. And sort of like the counterpoint to that is, yes, people are seen as this this person, not about your it's not about your skin color. But I feel like as her shows have progressed, because I watch I watch all of them, <laughs> I think on Scandal that I, I remember this one point where the first time that Olivia Pope actually mentioned that she was black or her father did or said something like being being who you are, you have to work twice as hard to get half as much as other people. And so I think having these characters that are people of color has allowed the discussion of race to be a lot more more casual and more approachable. I feel like shows, I don't know, you know, Get Out is all about, you know, racial tension. And so now that we have the ability to see all these different people's stories, it makes it easier to discuss. And she also brings up to front women, like having a strong female lead. Like this show is about, you know, Meredith Grey. The show, I, I don't watch Scandal. I don't know her. Olivia Pope. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Olivia Pope. Like that is who it is about. And they are leading, you know, I love uh, how, I, how to get away with murder. Yes. And uh, I'm 
blanking on her name and God forgive me. Viola Davis. Viola is phenomenal. Like and, and and I think what's funny is like how you forget like I can learn about acting from anyone. And it doesn't have to be a guy. You know, I, I can learn and watching her is next level I just how you go how is this person not you know what won more awards like just won everything mm-hmm. because she is so fantastic and, and I think you know I love strong female characters I love writing strong female characters characters that are not just a coat rack for the guy when he walks in mm-hmm. and wants a martini like I want a girl that changes like if I write something I want a girl the character that changes the perception of what it is to be a girl and the relationship to the guy and that I think all her shows do that, and it's just incredible. Yeah, I love what how women can, uh, it, in a very feminist world that we're in, women can do everything. Women can be the best at their career. Women can uh, hook up with that guy if they want to. You know, it's not putting women into a box of how they should behave. Like they can do everything. They can be very flawed, and you know, um, very multi layered, and not be perfect. So um, going off that, uh, speaking of you know having the right woman to play the part, like Viola Davis, and 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 uh, I'm blocking on Olivia Pope's name, Carrie Washington, Carrie Washington, who's also phenomenal. Um, when you're casting, you obviously you're working casting for uh, a re- a reality shows. Um, let's kind of talk about what's good and what's bad about being in a casting office, and and when when you when you do it right and when you do it wrong. Um, and I'm sure you've seen both sides of it. Uh, yeah. You hear the stories of actors going in and somebody on their phone while you're trying to give an audition. You see it in La La Land. Um, you know, I, I've I've ran a, a, a narrative casting, uh, a few casting sessions uh, for play and screen. I'm sure Mike as well. Uh, I know we've ran one together. Um, what what are personally for you, uh, both of you? What are y'all's do this, don't do this. This is what works. This seems awkward. Yeah. For, for me working in unscripted casting, um, uh, if you're auditioning for someone that wants to be in reality, I mean, you have to do it for the right reasons. I feel like a lot of people will want to get into it because it's an easy way to expand their brand or a good way to get notoriety or something. But it's really easy for me to differentiate who's doing something for the right reasons and someone who's doing it for the wrong reasons. I can think about the Revenge Body show that I worked on. Uh, Everybody that comes in that office, they want to lose weight. They want to get the best body that they've ever wanted. But... I know that there are so many people that are just attracted to the Kardashian brand and are doing this for an easy way to lose some weight, right? But for me, because in reality television, we get a lot of crap from scripted folk. Um, uh, If my job is to cast someone, it's going to be someone that's doing it for the right reasons. I won't get you past a phone call if I know that you're just doing it for, you know, just for fun. Like if you're going to do this, you're going to be on the show and do it, you know, you know, properly because you want to. Uh, I actually have been watching Revenge Body a little bit because uh, Karen is, loves that show. And I, there was this one episode in particular where, and I was so shocked by it because normally in these type of shows, it's always the person succeeds. Yeah. But in this particular yeah. episode, uh, you know, I don't remember her name, but she just kept hitting that wall and she just did not want to put forward the effort yeah. of working out. And eventually the producers drop her this is the girl that was walking up the hill yeah 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 Yeah. that was um and the thing is for me i i i was in the room interviewing her with my producer at the time and knowing how she is we kind of knew that's what would 
sort of happen, but not really. Personality-wise, other should obviously clash with people, but I didn't think it would lead to that. Um, I think she was doing it for the right reasons, but I think just you know, it just, it just wasn't a, a proper fit. I'm gonna, I want to bring up uh, 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 Greenlight, uh, the Project Greenlight, the oh. Matt Damon, Ben oh, Affleck. Yeah. Uh, a show about finding up and coming filmmakers. They recently did a new season. It was the last season of the new of the new version of the show. Um, I remember watching them go through all these different filmmakers' films and just talking to them, having the interviews, and then watching their discussion about who they're going to pick. And when they picked the guy, I don't did you, I don't know if you watched no. it or if, if you've seen my so you watch it knowing what I know about reality TV, watching Bravo shows. You know what they're looking for. Drama. They want someone that's going to bring a, uh, a, a, f- a friction to the show. That's going to clash with certain people. And watching it, they pick this guy. And if he's listening, I'm sorry. But he, w- I was like, why would you pick this guy? Like, the conversation, like, even one, of, I think somebody said it, like, why would we pick this person? Because he was very uh, uh, abrupt with them. He was rude in the interview a little bit. He was not very talkative. He was just very conceited. And but I go, I, I, I think my wife and I were watching I go, they're gonna pick him. Because that's the that's the that's gonna be the drama. Because the guy I think they should pick was very nice, very respectful, uh, knew his stuff, like had a great uh, film that he submitted, and it was like it, that it's so frustrating because like that guy should have gotten the opportunity. Of course, that guy, mm-hmm. not this uh, a hole that is just all about himself and his vision. And just watching that whole season drew me nuts because I'm like, this is this is you're adding friction to these other people's lives that aren't involved with the show itself, except for being you know in the production of the film. Mm-hmm. For for drama and it's oh it was maddening. But I think that's the point of television, though, right? It's you're supposed to have conflict. You're supposed to have that yeah. crisis. Yeah, that happens, and it's also the, I have not seen the show or anything, but I would imagine that the filmmakers, the surrounding crew, and everything learn from that. And I mean, it's also it's a certain story that they are pushing, as jazz as you were saying, right? There's a specific story that they are trying to push, right? And who knows whatever footage that we're not privy to. Yeah. Right there. But he, him, his storyline, they chose to frame a specific way. Yeah. And you have to think about everything else that goes into it. Like the post rap, like press tour. What do you want to watch? Do you want to watch the nice guy that has a great story? That's fine. Or the guy's going to give you like a really cool interview that you want to listen to. You know, the thing about the longevity of the show and the reputation and, you know, the stuff that comes afterwards. So that keeps people talking. That's how you get a second season. Yeah. Nice guys don't make headlines. No, they really don't. Well, and I'm in a, I'm in an acting class right now. And my, my teacher always reminds me, you don't, especially as an actor, being the nice guy, you do finish last. Sometimes you have to make that bold, you know, come in with that bold perspective. It went coming to an audition, right? You don't want to do what they expect. Right. You want to do something that's going to shock and come from a very specific point of view. You might be wrong, but maybe the casting side will pick up on that and say, you know, he, he didn't play that moment right, but he came in with a very specific attitude or an interpretation, and I want to see what more that they can bring to the table. Yeah. And for unscripted casting, I do say that you, you know, the people that audition for those shows, they can't 
be who they think I want them to be because that's not what reality is, you know, be yourself, crank it up to a 12, I say, but um, <laughs> uh, that's going to be the thing that, yeah, like you said, sets you apart, especially in unscripted. So going into like actually like narrative auditions, like um, Mike and I have been on both sides of it, you running an audition and then also obviously auditioning. Um, I remember I, I auditioned, I ran an audition for um, a web series that uh, a former collaborator of mine and I were putting together and um, we we both it was me my it was myself him and another guy that was helping produce and help create the show, and we had to put together who what roles each person was going to play in the audition. Um, I was kind of facilitating the the audition itself. Uh, um, I was doing some of the reading. I was kind of leading the actors, discussing the show with them. Uh, since I was also one of the writers on the show. Um, and, and I think one thing I learned from doing that is for dues is be prepared. Have a structure in your audition um, of you do this and then you do this and you go to this and then you're done. Um, be calm. You know, spread. Know what your audition is going to be and how long it'll take so that you can spread out the audition times properly so that you're not in a rush you're not stressing which is going to stress the actors which is going to stress the person running the outside with the actors and that's going to stress even the actors even more and you know you're not like okay we're running behind i'm so sorry uh let me i can't find this paper uh you got to fill this paperwork out you know where everybody's just flustered and so you're not going to find the person you want because nobody's giving you their best you're going to be angry and so you're not going to be freely watching someone you're just going to get ticked about the shoes they're wearing at that moment because you're already mad you know if there's anything I can say as the base of an audition, know what you're auditioning, know how long it's going to be so you can prepare for that to give the auditioner the best experience they have. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I would also just say practice before going in the room. It sounds very elementary to you, say that. You're, you're talking on the other side uh, as an auditionee. Uh, as an auditionee, as an actor make sure that you practice. You don't want your first go at this scene to be, you know, your, you and the audition. It's going to come off as unrehearsed. It's going to come off as unprepared and you just reaching for it as opposed to bringing in a crafted performance. And I think that's something that a lot of actors can forget is that it is a performance. You know, think of this as you booking the job is the fact that you booked an audition. That's the job. If you get anything beyond that, that's that's great, that's fa fantastic, but your job that you're hired that day for is to go in and perform in this audition. So treat it like you would any performance. Treat it like you would on set. Um, you don't you don't want to be on set and not know your lines or not know specifically how you're going to treat certain moments. Of course, you want to be alive and receptive and open to quote-unquote improv, not creating new lines in the copy, but you know, being open to emotional improv, connecting mm -hmm. with the reader, and also the casting director. I'm, you've been in a lot of interviews, Jazz, where I'm sure it's been a long day for you, and there's a lot of other things going on. Sometimes actors like me, we can pick up on it and think, oh no, they don't like me, they, they, they don't think what I'm doing is right, I'm wrong, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Don't even focus on that, because... They're working on something. Just go in and do the performance. Yeah, and as an auditor, also have respect for the person that is in front of you. Because I've yeah. been in with a lot of people that 
are like you said, like like that scene in La La Land on their phone, like not looking at them. You can see them obviously on their computer looking at other things while they're conducting a Skype. And it's like these people are talking to, for unscripted for me, are talking to about their life story, things I never talked about before, putting themselves out there. If they are making this much of an effort to do this, you can put in the same amount of effort to pay attention and give them the time of day. I, I definitely, and I think also like be respectful, understand like what you're asking of people to do. Because um, auditions can range from just reading something to having to do some weird physical aspect that may be required. Um, I, the show I mentioned earlier that we were auditioning, one of the characters was an ex-stripper. And it was a comedy. It was a weirdly dark office-esque kind of comedy. And there's a, see, there's a scene in one of the episodes where she gives a lap dance. And she hasn't done it in a while. And, it's, it, and so we had to see if the girls coming in for that role, and we put that on the, on the side, could look like someone who has given lap dances before um, because again you want that realism in the character and so again I'm running these things I am the most awkward person when it comes to anything like that with with women and so I would I would politely go this is who that character is as you read in the slide um, there is a scene in one of the episodes where the character does do this would you feel comfortable um, with an empty chair Showing us your best, best, uh, uh, rusty lap dance, like where you haven't done it in a while. I know it sounds weird. Where you haven't done it, that kind of rusty. Where you haven't done it in a while, and you're you're doing it for the first time in like let's say four years, and that was. But I was I tried. I always gave them the option to do it or not to do it. And I and if they didn't do it, I didn't think any less of them as as an actor. If there was some that didn't do it, who I thought did a great job in the read and would and definitely brought them up when we started talking about casting the person. Um, but if you're the auditor, make sure you know some situations are awkward for people. And if you're putting someone in that position, you need to be aware of that and 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 kind to that. You know. Yeah. I mean, especially for someone who casts scripted, you're in. I'm sure a lot of moments where. Well, as you said in the previous episode, you're seeing a lot of things that normally they wouldn't show people Mm -hmm. and that type of thing. And you have to create that safe environment for people to show that or maybe to not show it and be okay with it. Yeah. I mean, making people comfortable is the most important thing. Honestly, it's going to make it's going to make you feel good about what you're doing. They're going to be feel good about what they just revealed to you. And also they'll, they'll give you what you want. If you're looking for someone to give you for my work, like a specific bite or talk about the crap that's going on with their fiance, no one reveals that information unless they feel comfortable to do it. So everyone should feel like it's a safe space. All right. I'll tell you what's going on. Uh, You see, Oh, we don't have time. Oh, oh, sorry. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, you know, one of the things I want to ask, especially when it comes to reality shows, jazz, uh, jazz, um, when you're talking to someone who's not giving you what you want, uh, you're really trying, but they are just either consciously blocking what you're trying, you know, putting walls up, um, you know, or just subconsciously not doing what you're asking, which in the narrative, you know, auditions, you have the same thing. Like you direct someone to do something. They don't do it. You tell them again. They don't do it. The, the actor walls go up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you handle that? What is your, you know, as a, cause I'm sure it gets frustrating after a few minutes where you're just like, I am trying, I'm trying to help you <laughs> and you are not helping me. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I, I go from being like, 
being like a friendly person to being like the person that is 100% on their side. So if, I don't know if I'm like someone's on the fence about wanting to be on a show that I'm working on. I don't know how I'm going to be portrayed, blah, blah, blah. And so I will tell them not really lies, just, you know, sort of admitting the truth. I'm like, you know, you are, you are in charge of this. You know, if there's something you don't want to reveal, you don't have to. They say that they want to do something, but the show is because of you. I try to make them just seem really, really important. And it's <laughs> honestly like, that's all people want. If you're wanting to be on TV or want to do something, you want to feel like you are needed. And if you let them know, like if you don't want to reveal something, you don't have to, but we have, and I get really upfront with them and talk about, you know, behind the scenes stuff. Like we do have this to make. If you sort of go, go along with this, it'll be beneficial to you. It'll be beneficial to us. Um, so just being really transparent to people. I like to take away the, the mysticism and illusion of making television. I tell people I'm not that cool at all. So let me tell you about how this works. You know, you're a human being, you're not a puppet, even though I'm trying to, you know, use you as one for the show sometimes, but you know, just, just be real with them in my line of work is what I do. About being real, knowing the situation. Right. But also being in a comfortable space. Yeah. To be able to perform or just to be truthful. Yeah. I, I, I know I keep going back to it, but this is probably the most fully run audition I've ever actually ran. But the, the web series, another character in the show uh, who played the who played a very Steve Carell-ish type character. Again, the office was very popular at this time. Um, had to re... Uh, in the show, re... Uh, Basically, does uh, White Snake's "Here We Here I Go Again" video, and uh, basically recreates the crawling on the hood of the car scene. And so we 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 would ask the guys coming in to do that for us because we needed to see if they could recreate it well, but in a funny, silly way. How how many people we did not understand what do a dance crawling on the hood of a car meant? <laughs> is astounding or you know we'd say do you know white snakes here i go again a video yeah yeah you know the girl crawling on the hood of the car yeah can you do that in your most like over the top ridiculous recreation and they would just dance and like i don't think you understand the words that i just (laughs) said in a sentence and it would get so frustrating i think out of 40 people we saw for that role one person did it right Oh, wow. And it got to the point where I was like, we're not asking them to do it anymore. And, because this, I'm and tired. this was in Dallas, right? This is in Dallas, not in LA. But there's still That's actors. probably the problem. Okay. <laughs> you know what, sir? Let's see how Vacaville does. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> how those Vacavillains walk, crawl on the hood of cars. What are you talking about? We do that every day. <laughs> um, so to kind of close up, uh, any uh, final thoughts, especially uh, on auditions, any tips for people that want to get into uh, some reality show, like when they're talking to the auditor, any tips of what to bring to that audition or that, I guess, interview? Yes. Um, energy is the most important thing. You know, you could have the best story, the best, you know, thing that needs to be shown to people, but if no one's going to want to listen to you, it doesn't really matter. So I tell people you have to be engaging. Energy is key. Energy and personality is key. You can't you can't you can't teach someone how to have a good personality, which is unfortunate. But you can sort of teach someone how to ramp it up, and that's the thing that makes, you know, um, uh, storytelling engaging. So that's my number one thing: knowing why you're doing something. You know, coming in with a clear reason. If you're wishy-washy on the fence, oh, maybe I don't want to do this. Like you're going to make my job difficult. You're going to make it difficult for producers when you actually get on the show. So if you are willing to let go and relinquish a little bit of control and go along for the ride. That's probably the best thing. People that are like trying to fight it aren't good for TV. 
And I think any actor listening right now, that is exactly true as well mm. for any type of narrative audition mm. of being able to be free and be open and uh, to any type of reception you get from the casting director, any type of redirection or anything like that. You got to be open. But as you also said, prepared and energy. If you go into, you know, uh, you know, for an episodic TV show and you're just sleepy and tired, but your character is supposed to be happy and awake or romantic. If you, they're looking at the close up shot and you're just completely dead, you, you got to have that energy. So I think any actor listening, that is exactly uh, the advice that you need to go to in any audition. I'm going to say on the other side, if you ever are running an audition, like I said earlier, plan it to the T. Know what, what, how long each thing's going to take, how long the sides are. Plan that space between times accordingly. If you want a break, plan that in. Um, and, and, and know what everybody's role is in the audition. Know who's going to be the guy that sits there quietly and intimidates the actors. Know who's going to be the person that's speaking to the actors and letting them know what they're there for and what they're going to do, and it communicates to them. Know, you know how you're going to choose the actors. Like, what's, who, what's the majority vote going to be? Mm-hmm. Does somebody have more votes than somebody else? You know, we had that with ours. One, two of us had two votes. One of us had one vote. And so it was a very uneven thing in that sense and so it was and and i think in the same thing have energy like be excited to be there with them because i know it gets dull and you're there we were there for eight hours but if you can find yourself when that person that's coming in in that last hour comes in go you know what jessica thank you so much for coming in we're so excited to see you and i please take your time and let's do this because that's going to help that actor feel so much more comfortable coming in at the end of the audition. And this and the reverse goes for the actor. You know, the casting director's been there all day doing so many interviews or so many auditions. Yeah. You need to be respectful of their time mm-hmm. and be just as gracious as they are with you. Yeah, and show me you want it. It's an interview, right? This is yeah. an opportunity you want. Don't come in here and sort of like, oh, I guess, because there are a lot of other people that could take this opportunity over you. I think Jazz can probably agree with this, hopefully, and I think it's a cliche phrase nowadays that you hear probably in every audition workshop from a casting director but they're rooting for you like i want you to be the person to be in my show i want to find the next star and so i want you to be that person i'm hoping you're that person before you even read i'm going please be this character because i have to find this person i have to find this person to play this part and so i am hoping one of the 50 girls that come in is going to be that person or hundreds Mm. or anything like that yeah yeah, it, it definitely makes it makes my job easier because <laughs> especially if you're working on something where it's really difficult. If you're like the one couple that lives in middle America getting married in September or October with great personalities, a lot of energy and a lot of drama, you need to give this to me now because there aren't a lot of you <laughs> and I'm trying to find it. I need you to come in right now. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Jazz, do you want to give out your social media handles one more time? Yes, yes. My Twitter is uh, Jazz, J-A-Z-Z underscore casting. It's where I conduct a lot of my outreach for the shows that I work on. And my Instagram is Jazz underscore Trice, T-R-I-C-E. And uh, anything you want to plug once more just to beat it into people's heads? 
Um, uh, anything I want to plug? Um, uh, you know, I've worked on a lot of really great shows that are coming um, on air very soon. Um, Stove Tots is a really cool show that I cast. Look out for some really cool kids that are cooking up a storm. Um, uh, Revenge Body with Khloe Kardashian is currently on air. You can catch some episodes of Intervention that I've worked on. Um, uh, and yeah, I will be working on another show very, very soon. Well, first, I just want to thank you for coming on and talking to us and staying and talking to us more. Yeah, It's course. been fantastic. Michael, thank you so much for coming on with us. Oh, definitely. Thank you, as always. And thank you, Jazz, not only for being on this show, for also being the guy to really introduce me and my life to, to Lost. LA. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and that, too. All of the above. No, we, we were each other's guy. We did it. We, we pulled each other across the finish line, for sure. And they will always love each other. <laughs> so jazz one more thing yes after friendster before facebook there was a little place called myspace oh, lord yeah and on myspace you would waste time building a profile with music and crazy animations right and you would also take really stupid quizzes that meant nothing to your life but we found them to be the most important thing in the right. day I have a quiz that's 167 questions long. Oh, my God. Amazing. And, and before we started doing the interview, I asked you to pick six numbers. You have not seen these questions. Nope. And so let's have a little MySpace quiz. Oh, yes. This is exciting. <clears throat> Question one. Can you spell well? W-E-L-L. Ah. <laughs> that, did I get that one? Yeah, yeah. Okay, but, great. but how good are you at spelling? Um, uh, I... I I would say I'm a, a proficient speller. P R O F I C I E N T. That's actually incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was hoping I didn't mess that up. Uh, do you love MTV? There was a point in my life where I really loved loved MTV. I think it was around the Jersey Shore time where I would just consume all things MTV. So yeah, there was a time, small window. Have you ever been on a diet? Yes, I have been. I did paleo once. And it was like the worst week of my life. I remember that. I went into I went into shock. I like my I just started throwing up because your body is so used to getting these certain types of foods. And I went cold turkey. And me being a very active person, for all the stuff I do, I need a lot of food, and I was dumb. <laughs> Which one of your friends can you be your true self with? Um, uh, my these, these MySpace quizzes get deep. They're great. Probably my roommate. My roommate, Ulysses, who's like my best friend since college, and we've lived together for years. And so there's, yeah, we're like brothers. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. have, you, uh, have you ever dated someone twice? Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, what is it? Does that mean like you, you had a full on relationship and then started something up later, or you like went on a date at one point and then years later you went on another date? Because both of those apply to me. I mean, I, yeah, well, I took it as you date, you went, you were in a relationship, you broke up. A few years later, several years later, you dated again. Two days later. Two days later. Then, yeah, to both of the examples <laughs> I gave. Um, and the final question. This is where we're getting serious. We're talking real. Okay. Jazz, you ever been cheated on? Um, no. Mm. The final answer is no. Have I ever been <laughs> cheated on? No, wait. Oh, what? What? Interesting. You say the final answer. That the, means there's a subtle answer. The subtle answer is I inadvertently helped someone else cheat. That has happened a couple times actually, where I didn't know. Um, but no one has cheated on me, or not that I know of. They better not. 
<laughs> now he's gonna he's gonna get oh he's getting his phone out yeah, he's, he's texting i dumped him anyway he's, so he's melchimping every yeah. <laughs> he's ever dated well once again thank you so much jazz rice everybody yes. Yes, thank you so much jazz thank you guys where's the great. audience I, thought, I told you to get an audience oh Oh man, I sent them the other address. Ah, oh, for the, the second season. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much. Hope to have you on maybe down the road. Yes, of course. Uh, to talk more intervention, uh, more reality TV, more Shonda, yeah. more Lost. I would love to. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. Back to you, Michael and Daniel, in the studio. Hey everyone, welcome back. Uh, that was an amazing. Uh, discussion with Jazz. It was so great connecting with him. Uh, it's been a few months since we had seen each other, so it was so wonderful to just talk about art and being a creative person in the world and how we can use that to not only define ourselves, but also to connect with other people, but then also to kind of gush about some of our favorite shows. And I'm sure some of you guys out there were as shocked as maybe Daniel or Jazz were when I admitted to them, you know, years in between that I had not seen Lost. And so Jazz definitely ushered me into uh, watching Lost. And I did get that experience of getting to watch that show on a streaming platform where I got to binge it all within two months. And it was a completely different experience than what they had gone through. But I can definitely see uh, when Daniel talked about how Lost truly changed uh, narrative television. Uh, it was just an amazing show. If you haven't seen it, it might be on Netflix or some other streaming platform right now. Or, you know, if you're like, uh, Daniel, maybe go get the season DVDs. Uh, that would, that would always be good to have on file. Right. Um, but yeah, we also got to talk about some of our other favorite shows, uh, house of cards. And for me, uh, slings and arrows, a show that, predates somewhat the golden age of television it came out while i was in college but if you love shakespeare and if you love theater you definitely want to check out that show um but let's dive a bit more into what was discussed in act two so one of the things that really connected with me was when jazz was talking about how with art you get to explore something that is not part of your world and i think that is so necessary it's so easy for us to just feel confined within our lane as it were to use LA traffic terms right like you're just in your lane and you have your own life and your own experiences it can be very isolating and I think that's how people become uh, isolated and somewhat standoffish is because they're not connecting with others because they're not um, allowing themselves to feel uh, the lives of others and I think as artists you know, we are the channel of expression and emotion. And I think, especially when you're a young person, um, it's so important to be able to go into a creative, it's so important to go into a creative safe space and connect and to learn and to portray all of these feelings that yes, you might not have any life experience in that particular thing, but it's important for you to still learn and for you to still try and relate to that. I think we we need more of that. We need to empathize more and we need to be able to put ourselves in the other person's shoes. And I think that's how we as artists can change the world. We invite people into our art and we also need to uh, go in and listen in as well. Uh, it was also really great to talk more about some of the major influencers behind uh, 
you know, current television story making right now. Shonda Rhimes, uh, amazing executive producer, writer behind amazing shows and talking about opening up the discussion of diversity in television and how, of course, we still have a long, long way to go by, by far, but how it's been able to create, how she has been able to create this window for many people to look in and see these other peoples of different genders and races and uh, all different backgrounds and to her shows have been like a window into their lives and really shows other audiences that we're all the same. We're all normal and we are all experiencing life and its struggles. And it's important, I think, to show that on screen and in stories that it's not all just one thing that we're that modern storytelling needs to reflect the modern audience. And I think uh, it's been needed and it's we're currently uh, in the throes of that. And I think it's really exciting in this time that we're in right now to see where it's going to keep on going. Now, of course, Daniel announced uh, in the last episode, but I just wanted to remind you, uh, Jazz uh, is now working as a casting producer for America's Got Talent. I mean, that is... That's huge. It's one of the biggest shows on television right now. Um, and if you think you have what it takes to go on an audition and you have what it takes to bring a show to Vegas, or if you just want to go and share your story, uh, that show is all about the, the stories that people bring with them along with their performance. Please contact Jazz at jazztricecasting at gmail.com. Again, that's J A Z Z. T-R-I-C-E-C-A-S-T-I-N-G at gmail.com. Jazztricecasting at gmail.com. Not once, not twice, but trice. <laughs> now, uh, please remember uh, to engage with us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Hollywood Hustle Podcast. We're also on Twitter at LA Hustle Cast. Um, you know, if you have any thoughts on what was discussed on today's episode, uh, whether it be about the role of art um, you know, some share with us some of your favorite television shows and how that impacted you as a storyteller or as, as an artist or as a performer. We would love to hear how television or the media that you consume affects you and how it inspires you. Um, and just, you know, there's various ways to reach out to us again on social media, or you can email us at hollywoodhustlepodcast at gmail.com and we'll share your thoughts here on the show. Uh, coming up next in our next interview series, we sit down with actor, model, cosplayer, costumer, and business owner Allie Williams. In Act One, Daniel sits down with Allie to discuss the, how her start in the entertainment in- industry as a model in Florida, deciding to pursue film over theater, and how she worked hard to move to Los Angeles. We talk about settling in and finding your own unique place in the industry so that you can stand out. We also discuss cosplay, uh, you know, comic cons, and Ali's self-run company, Princess and Me Parties. So do not miss Ali's magnetic positivity and confidence and this incredibly engaging and enlightening discussion. So we really hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave us a review on iTunes if you haven't. That would really help us out. But in the meantime, everyone, remember to keep up the hustle. <laughs>
This episode of Hollywood Hustle Podcast was hosted by Daniel Tuttle and produced with Michael Lutheran. Kel Torados is our sound engineer, and Mike Tobias edited our website. For more information about the show, visit our website, hollywoodhustlepodcast.com.